0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with two very special guests, two long-term friends. I'm here with Neve Dror of Shrug and Cyan Bannister of Founders Fund. Uh, Neve and I previously worked at Product Hunt together. And Cyan, were you the first check in Shrug or one of the first checks
1: in Shrug? I believe I was. Is that correct?
0: You were the first batch. Yes. Yeah, so so you're, you're the, you're the very se- uh, second check. I was a second the second check. One of the biggest believers and earliest believers and, and most helpful people for sure. And you're known for doing that for founders. But I'm curious, what specifically in Neve did you see? Because as good looking as he is and as talented, it wasn't an obvious bet, right? It was a, you saw him before other people saw.
1: He's young, scrappy and hungry and he's not going to throw away his shot. Yes. Yeah, I heard you went to some sort of like Hamilton <laughs> yes. boot camp. Amazing. Anyway, that's what I saw. So I was one of the first investors in Chris Saka's fund as well. And so one of the things after that, and it was a small fund, I developed a, thesis around, you know, first time fund managers with small funds. And, and I just, you know, when Neve and I met and we hung out and like seeing his outlook on what he wanted to do, it fit that sort of mold of, yeah. you know, kind of, not that you're Chris Saka, you're Neve, you're someone yeah, else. But, um, I just definitely felt that you had a chance at something great. And I wanted to be part of that.
2: I hope to, to be great, yeah, he, he uh, but, but lowercase, lowercase, lowercase is the model. Chris was, I got into tech by auditing lowercase and then just at first, not personally, uh, but then now I've gotten to know Chris, but he, he is one that inspired everything. And then small, as much as I like Andreessen Horowitz, like the big fund, many people, that's not the model. Lowercase is very much
0: the model. Right. And you said that we were talking that you wouldn't join a big firm. You, you want to be doing exactly what you're doing because you like saying, yeah, it's more fun to say yes. Say more about that. Yeah. I hate saying no. No, like it's, it's a lot of shots on gold.
2: Bit, I've done, I've admittedly invested, uh, very, very quickly, but then that's developed a very strong network of founders and semi deals and co-investors of semi deals. And I see a lot of deals these days because it was such a high impact. Last year, I think.
1: Well, I think you also you get to behave kind of like an angel investor would. So he gets to have high conviction in things and write a check immediately. Whereas I have to have consensus, and things are a bit slower. And so, you know, there's challenges with that. And so I think that you know you have outsized returns when at the earlier stages if you're able to move quickly and you pick the right deals.
0: Yeah. So your first deal in so many companies. How do you do that? What what is your secret? Do you love putting in people in business? Is that sort of where the interest comes from? And and how do you know when you're the first check in? Hey, this is crazy. Versus, no, this is this is gonna.
1: Well, I'm known for crazy things. That that is helpful. So what happens is something will cross someone's path, and they're like, I don't understand this, or this is weird, or I don't know why anyone would do this. I'm gonna send it to Cyan. Right. And, you know, those are the types of deals that really excite me and I want to see them. And I think the other thing is that I tend to be a listener, not a talker. And so I will sometimes just be in a room or a party or an event and observing. And then I hear people say what they're working on. And I'm like, oh, tell me more about that. Yeah. You know, that's how I found out about Chris Saka's fund is he was talking about it on a bus. Huh. And um so I sent him an email afterwards. I'm like, if you start a fund, I want in. Right. And he's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, you were listening? Yeah. Yeah, I was listening.
0: And wasn't Travis talking about Uber at a party or something or someone else?
1: So actually Uber was a very different situation. My driver my driver was Uber's first driver. But I did meet Travis uh at the lobby in the hot tub when there was a hot tub over by the ocean. He was talking more about how he was looking for his next thing. And so that's the other thing is I file information away about people and you know, I'm always like that person's really interesting. They have this interesting gravitas about them. You know, there's interesting personality trait and I just kind of watch them. And then if they do anything, then that's when I I go in and try to write a check.
0: And if you had to, and maybe you can help add to, cause um, it's weird to talk about yourself, but if you, if you had to um, make concise what your superpower is, because if people are sending you crazy things and it's not because you're, you know, PhD in space or PhD in, in whatever subject, is it because you can, you're willing to take more risk? You can identify, identify things about people that others don't, or you're just more on top of stuff and have a better process about filing things away. Like, what do you think is your superpower in that aspect?
1: I'm a visual thinker. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm successful at what I do is I can actually see what the future looks like in a very visual way. So if somebody is painting a picture for me, of this future that they're trying to build i either can see it or i can't and if i can see it and i'm like yeah human beings will do that they, they will behave that way they will get into strangers cars they will sleep on strangers couches like i totally get it then that's how i get to that point point. and then it's about the founder and whether or not i believe in them and if i could work for them or do they excite me right. but really it's 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 a very visual yeah. experience it's hard to explain
2: according to your your superpower is that you see stuff very early Someone said that in Forbes about you, and I made it to Wikipedia. Uh, I know you just you you've articulated it better. Uh, I've seen I I work with a bunch of investors these days, and everyone just tries. A lot of people, most people, just try to shoot down things, and I just want to believe and and see what it can be. And then if there's if something is incongruent, or like no, I can't think, I can't see that happening, then I'm not investing. But I I want to believe and say yes, being like. Pessimism is not very good in this business, I think. Yeah.
0: Let, let's zoom out actually, because you've, you've been angel for a long time. How did you sort of think about out of, you certainly had a lot of people wanting to work with you. How did you think about what was the best place for you to do venture? Or what was the best context? You know, for, do it in your own, start your own fund, just angel, join a bigger fund, a firm like founders fund. How did you navigate that? I don't know, Maybe it was like a two or three year process where you're sort of thinking, Hey, what am I going to do?
1: I was perfectly happy doing what I was doing. And I uh slowed my role, so to speak, because there were too many angel investors and too many early stage seed funds like me. Oh, there's
2: so no many offense. of us. There's so many of us. <laughs>
1: there are so many of them that it became quite competitive and also the prices for the companies were too high. And so I decided to sit out a couple of years and slow my role in investing and I went to Angelist for a little while. And I did that because I was really passionate about how they were giving access to what is normally an elite function to people who otherwise wouldn't see that type of deal flow. And so I thought, well, gosh, if we could find an Uber or something like that and somebody could put, you know, $500 or a thousand dollars into that, like how cool and life changing could that be? Uh, that sent some sort of signal, bat signal, like that I was hireable and Founders Fund reached out. So Founders Fund really is the only firm I would Ever join, will ever join. You know, if I ever leave Founders Fund, I will go back to being an angel investor. I will never start my own fund. The reason why is that I don't really want to manage LPs and I operate on a fund level anyway. So why bother?
0: But talk about that because a lot of people out there want to start their own fund, but don't necessarily know what it means to manage LPs. Neve is learning first, you know, firsthand. Why not? What what is that like? What should people know about that?
1: LPs are lovely, but uh, they usually come from Institutions or family offices or they're high net worth individuals and they have, you know, they have an appetite for some sector that they're interested in investing in. So they want this asset class and it's usually like 1% or 2% of a total thing that they're doing and they don't necessarily see like eye to eye on some of the stuff that you're doing. It can be a very humbling experience. I've heard, you know, going to LPs and having to pitch, and it's very prob- probably harder than starting a company and raising yeah. money. I've also heard. Oh
0: yeah, I mean, it can take a year longer. Yeah. yeah,
1: I really don't really enjoy that that idea. The other thing is that there's auditing, and you know, there's all sorts of like reports that you have to do, and phone calls you have to have, and it's just like overhead that I don't want.
0: I think Neve is sort of creating the playbook for micro VC that maybe Forerunner started a few years ago, which is pick a sector and even like a wedge within that sector and be the go-to person for that sector, like, like dominate that sector, declare victory in that sector and then expand over time. So Forerunner with sort of d c brands now expanding, I don't know, maybe like a $400 million fund to just all consumer and perhaps Neve with consumer social perhaps expands all consumer, perhaps consumer SaaS. My, my question for these funds is what happens in fund three? So you raise a one million dollar fund, you raise a ten million dollar fund, and then what? Because you're transitioning LP bases from individuals to to family offices, but now you start have to start bringing institutions on board. How do you think about this, Neve? Uh Completely hypothetical, of course. Of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, you you have to
2: start showing returns at some point. The back you at first, and then it's more about momentum, and then things are too early to. And have returns. If 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 there's returns after one year, that I don't think those will be very good returns. It's, it takes years for these things to materialize. So at some point, you have to start showing right return capital. Uh, I hope to make you money, Sam. Thank you. So in terms of the the focus, my focus isn't just consumer. It, it so the shrugs bio is on Twitter is investors and in gifts, memes and silly things. That's because I think people can really focus on one thing. So that's the epitome of consumer. So I don't really invest that. I, I have some like morphine I love, but that's, there's a lot behind that. That is that yes, it's gifts, but it's more of an exception. So it's more. You want people to think of what to send you. So if you just say, I'm a journalist, I like everything, then you won't be top of mind. But if you say consumer, then they think of you. But the thesis of the fund is things I'm excited enough to talk about for an hour to a non-tech audience. So that's not going to be cybersecurity, and it's probably not going to be crypto. But And it's very much usually a consumer, but consumer is extremely – I wouldn't even say consumer is the focus because it's – super run, and even ar and vr that we invest in that's i think that's part of consumer it's not i mean people call it like it's consumer it's things people use yeah
0: we'll get to AR and vr in a bit for for people who come up to you and say hey i'm looking to follow the new drawer path start a fund just like just like you did what advice do you have them and maybe we get into superpowers and moats as well
2: yeah yeah so on the one end, the fund stars the joke when I tweeted, "If I ever raise a venture fund, I'm gonna call it Shrug." And Owen Brainerd, who is the first LP, and he's he's very close with Saka as well, he kind of took me up on that and said the first step to raising a venture fund is if I ever raise a venture fund. And then I DM'd him like, "Are, are you serious?" Because he was he, he is the person I would go to, and then you would be the you're the only one I knew would put some money in. Everyone else it was a complete surprise. I, I, so on the one end, I lucked into raising money from everyone I've looked up to. On the other hand. No, I mean, I've built up, for, I mean, with you it was the past, over the past year, with Sakai it was since 2012, with Mark, Chris and Mark, it was, it was over many years, um, of, of introducing people and just getting to know people. And then, and then also, and more, most importantly, which I didn't realize at the time, I've done many different things and I've kind of developed quote unquote like superpowers, right. um, that ended up being extremely relevant to what I'm doing now. So it's for, let's, well, it started with, with accounting and, and just, in auditing VC funds. So I was very fluent in the language of VC and deals. And then it was being an analyst at DataFox. So analyzing from the markets kind of top down. And then it was community building at Meerkat. I didn't know what community building was, but I kind of became known from a community and which is what I'm doing with my LP, LP group now. Yeah. It's kind of a community, like get people to give you money and then to join this community at any amount. Most importantly is product on Ben Angelis, which is kind of a boot camp of, of succinctly communicating new products every single day. Yeah. So first of all, by doing the Twitter. 20, 30, 40 tweets every day, no matter what, every day never stops. If you have to take a day off, it's doing two days in ahead. It was really intense. Right. Uh, and then Nick finally took over for me. Yep. And then I was, and also the newsletter. So communicating things in a, in a, in multiple paragraphs. And then when I raised the fund, I sent 110 emails and I have 73 LPs for that fund. So most people said yes. And if I were to ever raise another one, I could say it's a better hit rate than that. Uh, So just communicating very succinctly over email is is an extremely transferable skill to getting deals and and getting thinking why would someone open your email and and continue, which means adding value and being interesting and and kind of removing everything that really asks. You're the only one I I kind of ask favors from. I I tend to not
0: ask favors. It's more just adding value that makes sense for everyone involved. So let's talk more about that. What is your superpower as it relates to email? So, uh, and getting those emails answered. I and mean, we, you, we, people understand, you know, add value without expecting any return. But what, what sort of tactically or what else would you add to, for people listening to be write as good emails as you do? It's,
2: everyone does this. So it's not, I'm not even, everyone thinks in from their point of view. So you see it in tweets when they're saying are we and it's really should be their audience. So starting with what the benefit for the person. Uh, even like when firms announce a new partner, it's like R or, or they're speaking. It's like R at someone is is speaking. And it's like yeah, but like why would someone care about like the, like what are they going to talk about? Why should we go to the event? Just it's just flipping it. And then like when I write emails, I literally like analyze every single line to earn the right to to read the the second line and the third line. And then by the end of the email, one they've gone to the end of the email. Two that it fully communicated why something is interesting, which goes back to I mean Ryan edited. My emails, like, to, all, every day it requires editing or just like, after I send in an investor update, I could, which are very long is, I think, but well, yeah, both of you guys are all on right. it. I could basically recite sentence by sentence,
0: like in my head, like when I go to sleep, like the whole thing, cause I've read it so many times. It's, it's over, it's overkill, but well, your path, the skills you developed for people who say, oh, I want to follow the Need playbook, but unique to their skills. What would you advise them?
2: So it doesn't need to be, I mean, it does ha- happen to be a very relevant to venture, but it means. Finding something that is helpful in the industry and then that can help companies specifically or LPs. Um, I, but side note, I look at my fund as, as but like the product market fit of my fund is both founders and LPs. Right. So investing in them. things that yeah, like so the growth investors are investing or Series A and B investors that are, are LPs in the fund. I I want to have deals to send them, but those are also the funnest ones to be involved in because they're usually working by that point. Yeah, like a lot of deals that I didn't, that I shouldn't have done. I very much should have done, but I got infinite value from being in like superhuman or HQ or Omni. Thank you. Thank you. And for two of those, those are Im- Im- immensely, I think I can get a, re- for sure I can get a return on them, but it's been immensely helpful just to be involved with those companies. Cause people don't end up knowing if you're in like the first check or the last check, they just know you're involved with the company. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that another one of your, your skills is that I send you a company and I fully trust you. It's one of these things where I know they're in good hands. Like, for example, when I sent you super plastic, you were just, I knew for a fact that it would just resonate with you. And I knew for a fact that you would take good care of Paul and, 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 and you did.
2: I didn't, I didn't get it at first. I I looked at the website and I'm like, what is this toy thing? And then when we, we talked in your office, then I, when you explained what it is, then I fully got it and it it was super interesting. And then Paul is one of my favorite people. Like, we're going to be lifelong friends, probably.
1: Yeah. Probably for life. And so like, that's the other thing that I, he's very hands on. And he's super helpful to the founders that he backs more so than other people that I send deals to. And so I think that makes me even more excited to send him deal flow. Right. So you might not even be aware of some of your superpowers.
0: So some of these microphones w- will work out, will show returns. Some of them won't. Some people think that the future of venture is going to, you're going to have a lot of M and A with big firms sort of acquiring, acquiring the talent at some of these micro firms. Keith Reboy Boy doesn't, doesn't necessarily think so. But yeah, not only MA, but also multi asset firms. And that, Andreessen, is a, a template where you have the general fund, then you have the crypto fund, then you have the bio fund, and maybe what social capital was doing um, before stuff went haywire there in terms of hedge fund and growth and real estate. What was your take, Cyan, on, on what we're going to see and how venture is going to change in the next five to 10 years, given your purview at Founders Fund?
1: Oh, gosh. We don't think about stuff like that at Founders Fund. So I don't spend a lot of brain power analyzing what others do yeah. or how they should do it. We are one fund. We we call our early stage effort Pathfinder, but it's still part of the same main fund. And we don't break things up into sectors. We don't, you know, we don't do any of that. So right. I can't predict how other people will behave yeah. or what they would do, but we wouldn't consolidate in that way. We wouldn't acquire, you know, yeah. micro funds. That's um, just not something that we would do. Right.
2: I think it's incredibly important that you are doing it and either yeah, either investing in small funds or, more importantly from my end is is like when you do these small checks into deals, cause then I know I could send them to you. And then it's a small part of the round. Like they get to leverage uh, your, your name to the extent, well, there's two sides of one. There's a signaling risk, but also helps you let, put together your round. If founder's fund is in for a small check. Um, and then you get you're as close as you want to be with the company to, to potentially preempt something versus uh, let's say, benchmark who only do A's and B's. They only take board seats. I can still send them stuff, but it, it's like, it's not as relevant at the beginning because I know we know it's very clear they're not going to invest. It, they're not going to invest in seed or pre-seed.
0: Right. What does Foundry Fund believe in the, about the world that has you guys writing small checks out of a billion dollar fund that let's say Benchmark or Andreessen or others don't?
1: So the reason is that we believe in building relationships early. And it is challenging because sometimes we put money in and then the expectation is that we're going to follow on forever. You know, and that's not the case either. Like we sometimes sit out rounds for a variety of different reasons, but you know, mostly it's just to help build our community. It's like you're an interesting person doing an interesting thing in an interesting space, and we want to back you. So it's a great way for us to have a little bit of skin in the game for them to be able to reach out to us and decide whether or not we make sense for a series A down the road or not. And that's the only reason why.
0: Right. So. Founders Fund from the outside is known one one of you know Peter Thiel uh, philosophy of not competing. Also, I think uh, transcends to to the partnership in terms of one has picked you know Founders Fund one of the most successful investors ever. But the individual people you wouldn't have thought perhaps previously were the obvious picks to join a benchmark or Sequoia. What is their superpower at picking amazing GPS?
1: I think that we give people a lot of freedom and autonomy to be able to execute on their own strategies and plans. So like the other firms I've heard, oh, you have to have 16% of a deal. You you know, the full partnership has to be in a room to make any decision. We don't do that. They have these Monday meetings I've heard about. We don't do that. <laughs> you know, there's all these like CRMs and processes and, and variety. we don't do any of that. So the other thing is that we are incredibly lean and nimble and when we want to get something done, we just uh, – it's a small office. There's only now 12 investment team members since Keith joined. And we just pull whoever needs to be in a meeting into a meeting, and yeah. then it just happens, and then it's done. And we know who likes certain things and doesn't like certain things or how people work. We know our quirkiness and all of that various stuff. And I think that's how it works. And I think the other thing is that we all hold very similar views about freedom and the freedom to – to choose political leanings, the freedom to, you know, we have really spirited open debates, which are fun and respectful. And so I think that's the other thing is that if, you know, you wanted to be a founder's fund, that would be something that you would probably prize right. as, as a core value.
0: Yeah. You already had an outstanding track record before going to founder's fund, but my understanding for some of those folks is that they built their track record at founder's fund, maybe someone like a Jeff or someone like a Scott Nolan or someone like a Brian Sigerman, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. How does founder fund consistently picking people before they have track records who uh, then go on to be world-class investors?
1: So a lot of the people were part of the Tealverse, is what we like to call it in yeah. some way or another, like they wrote for the Stanford review. Yeah. And so you'll see this common thread. Like we have uh, an associate who just got promoted. John Loke. Yeah. Congrats. Uh, yeah. He wrote for the Stanford review. And so they have that in common. The other thing is that sometimes there's teal fellows yeah. that, uh, Join the Teal Fellowship, and then they they roll through Founders Fund at some point. And Brian is really kind of an outlier. Uh, he's I think a really interesting case where he joined as an associate. He was not part of the PayPal universe. He was part of the Google universe, and he worked from being an associate to a general partner. So part of it was, uh, you know, Peter and the founders of Founders Fund really value that tenacity and hard work and returns. Yeah. And so they said, well, you know, he's performing great and doing great and he continued to do great. And so he just kept on that path and he made it. And so a lot of firms don't have that path. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's a shift in know. venture.
2: So Andreessen for almost entire, the whole existence had, we, you need to be a founder. And then recently Connie made them break that yeah. because Connie is that good. So like, we, we
1: had a similar rule for a while. I think Founders Fund's whole rule is not to have rules anymore. Mm-hmm. So like we were like, whatever dogma we have, we need to question our own dogma and our own rules. And they started getting rid of some of those things. But when Brian first joined, it was you had to have built a company that exited for a certain amount of money at some point in your life. And they thought that he was okay because he built some tool or some site internally within Google that had millions and billions and millions of users. And so they, he got a free pass on that one. Oh, yeah. But this was also back when we like, in order to pitch us, you had to fill out some form and solve some math equation. I mean, uh, it was ridiculous. Right. So we don't do that anymore.
0: Walk us through the, the Keith for boy hire. Cause that's like, we, we joke. It's like getting Kevin Durant to the warriors, but how does that, how does that happen? And how could you keep it from me for six months?
1: I know <laughs> it was a really good secret. Wasn't it? And
0: was it just, Hey, we got to get Keith. I mean, like
1: pretty much now.
0: How's the time? Pretty much. Walk us through.
1: It started with uh, an internal debate about where talent comes from and where we should be looking for it from the investment team angle. And some people were in the camp of, we should be going to universities and, you know, poaching the youngest and brightest Peter Teals that are just haven't been realized yet. And I was not in that camp because we probably wouldn't hire Peter when he was just starting, yeah, you know he had to go and do PayPal and all of the various things right. that he did in order to be the Peter he is today. Yeah. And also, they broke the mold when they made him. like there are no more Peters out there, like you know we shouldn't be looking for that. So instead, I challenged everyone to create a ranked list of their favorite investors, and I said, why don't we go out and get someone amazing who's just already out there right and you know, we made a list, and Keith was at the top of every single person's <laughs> list. It was like, Keith, 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 Keith. And we're like, why isn't he here? And there's lots of reasons why he wasn't. I mean, he it makes total sense that he would be.
0: Right. I was like, why didn't this happen five years ago?
1: You know, I don't really know the history there and why. Um, My guess is that timing was everything. And like, you know, he was in an operational role. You know, I know that Vinod brought him in and, and, you know, that might have just been a whole timing thing. And we didn't think there was a chance at all of getting him to join us. Yeah. But then started the effort of us, you know, basically reaching out to him and talking to him and making it work because uh I consider ourselves very like you said, it's like getting our own LeBron, yeah, or our own Katie. Totally.
2: And Dillian. Dillian is yeah. I haven't met really cool. Dillian yet. It's his yeah. first day today.
1: Amazing. Um I yeah, will meet him star. tomorrow, but <laughs> but I hear he's amazing. I love his tweets. Yeah, it's
0: <laughs> fantastic. It, yeah, and it is interesting because it's like the debate you're having is similar to one that NBA teams have, which is should we draft new talent? Or should we, through free agency, get the best talent out there, which is sometimes more risky, but if you can pull it off.
1: I I still think we should draft new talent, but I think that you start as an associate. I I really felt like we needed more senior people on the team, what we call deal winners. And, you know, we have Peter, who's amazing. We have Brian, who's amazing. You know, Ken just went off to become the ambassador to Sweden. We needed needed someone great. And so... it was him Mark Andreessen was on our list but of course we're not we're definitely not getting yeah. Mark but there we had a list and we, you know we yeah. went down it and they and it was just really it was all about him
0: one thing we've also seen we're just talking about is a lot of turnover adventure in the last couple of years and I, I don't have any stats on it but I think it's picked up particularly around some of the star star players you 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 also brought on a couple of years ago uh, for a brief stint Kevin Hart, mm-hmm. Um also a deal winner and I've seen a few of these things where a star player goes to a team and they leave about a year later, you know, what, it, it wasn't for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know the reasons, but when that happens, why, why does that typically? We don't talk about that specific case, but why does that typically happen broadly when someone goes for a year and then says, you know what, let me go back to what I was doing. It
1: just simply boils down to ventures, not for everybody. You know, in Kevin's case, he is a stellar investor yeah. and operator. And I think that, you know, he still has a company left in him and he still wanted to go back and work on Eventbrite. The other thing is he has a work ethic that is unparalleled. And, you know, he would come into the office at seven in the morning and leave at seven at night while also balancing being a dad while helping his wife with a company. Didn't he and meet like, like
2: 400 founders his first year or something? Oh yeah. He
1: met like hundreds of founders in his first year. And like it was, it was crazy. The man is an athlete. Like. Wow. He, you know, none of us have that kind of stamina. I mean, we're great, but we're we're not as great as as Kevin. (laughs) Wow. So I think that, you know, also that just can also contribute to burnout potentially. And I think he just decided it wasn't for him or at least not now, maybe later.
0: Cool. I want to transition into what we're investing in, what we're looking at. We were talking about AR and VR before you're known for Niantic, which made Pokemon go among other things. Where are we right now? in AR and VR. What are you guys looking at and, and where are we going?
1: So we're a bit stalled when it comes to uh, experiences and innovation. And partially, a lot of people say it's because wearables are not there yet. And I don't believe that's true. So I think the issue is actually the storytellers, the people who make the art and make compelling experiences do not have the technical capabilities or the tools to make the experiences. And so, the stories are just not there. So, if you look at some of the apps that have done well, that there's Follow Me Dragon and some of these AR experiences, they have no concept of memory. And so, of course, you're not going to become attached to it because you're going to Boot up the dragon. The dragon flies around. The dragon doesn't remember you. Who cares? You know, but as soon as the dragon can remember you and you develop a relationship, but that's obviously a much more technical challenging right. thing that most, uh, most companies are just trying to like stick something out there aren't going to try to actually accomplish or, or even know how. I'm excited about wearables, but at the same time, I think we're so far off from having anything that anyone would wear for any significant amount of time. Yeah. There's also battery life issues. I think VR is fun, but at the end of the day, we're still animals and we don't like being secluded for long periods of time. It can be very alienating. And so I think mobile first uh, AR experiences are still going to dominate. And it's really surprising to me that nobody has come out with anything even close to what Niantic did. Yeah. And it's years later and they're getting ready to launch their next game. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I, I think that... uh I know we're both pretty excited about virtual beings and the concept of, you know, these synthetic avatar startups that are popping up that are like Hatsune Miku in Japan, you know, creating pop stars and various types of media that you can interact with or have around that has more personality to it. And there could be an AR component to that.
0: Right. And what's the big opportunity there with things like Brad? that we were both investors in, is it, you become a CAA of that talent or, you know, you create, you know, Kylie Jenner, I, I don't know what her makeup brand was that sold for a billion dollars or was it worth a billion dollars. Do you create more of those or what, what's the big opportunity there?
1: There's a lot of different opportunities. So like you could become a Kardashian family that is fully manageable, that has only the drama that you give it. And so yeah. it's all fabricated, right? The other thing is you can become an agency. However, I think the agencies have already started representing some of these beings. Uh, so that might be covered. The other thing is that you could create something that turns into a movie franchise to a Marvel Studios where it's, you know, the next generation of comic books. It could be Pixar. You know, there's, we've seen all sorts of different approaches to how this is going to play out. Well, we've
2: invested in all those. and we've invested <laughs> in all
1: of them, pretty much. Yes, that's correct. We'll see which one. I mean, there's it's such a broad space that there's it's not a winner take all thing. Yeah. Like there can be multiple Michaelas right. doing multiple things because just like there's people and celebrities. I mean, yeah. there's no end to the amount of celebrity you can have.
0: Right, but there's only so few Kardashians, right?
1: It's like how many? I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, there's actually <laughs> ten card- actual Kardashians, but but people at that scale or that at that level correct. of influence, yeah. There's a few, and I I guess all of them added up are many billions of dollars, so. I think that the YouTubers
2: are the new celebrities, or among the new celebrities, and there's not too much difference between growing up, how you grow, you'd go a YouTuber, you, you do collaborations, and you put out content, and you sell merch, and you could do, you, that's all happening with uh, virtual kickers, but they're much more manageable and they could be multiple places and they, the company can control them. So these can aren't... You a
1: song every day. Yeah. You know, you don't have to like get them to the studio and make sure they show up. And,
2: yeah. yeah. And then you know. I it took me a little bit, to uh, uh, three months to properly understand a Michaela when I first heard about it. I should have understood it sooner, but then... Just Spider-Man. What is Spider-Man? Spider-Man is a virtual character, ha- sells lunchboxes, has comic books, but you don't necessarily need the comic books or, or movies these days to grow it. You you grow them on social media and, and, and YouTube and these are the new platform. I'm not replacing the old ones, but. So 10
0: years from now, what does the world look like with Brud and all these others at scale? Like are there just no human celebrities anymore?
1: <laughs> well, I think, I think if you believe sort of in the diamond age future, humans creating things with their hands and crafts and arts become like the most valuable thing in the universe, right, or the planet. So that could be it.
0: Can you explain the diamond age for for the listeners? I mean, oh yeah, it,
1: right? diamond age is a book by Neil Stevenson that is wonderful, and it it talks about this little girl who who basically is educated through a book, but everything that she needs uh, is built through a replicator. So like the, anything that's carbon based, she can just print it. Anything of real value is made with human hands. And so like, or poetry or a hand sewn garment or something like that, because that can't be just spit out of some machine. So I think that, you know, in the future, I think there will be celebrities that are people, but there will be a lot of synthetic celebrities. And, you know, I think Already I got a pitch this week on three different Chinese Hatsune Miku-like characters. There's one in Japan that is bigger than Hatsune Miku. I forget her name, but she's a YouTube star as well. And, you know, the younger generation is growing up with this and it's normalized. And so I think part of it is kind of like South Park. Like South Park was able to have these characters that explored topics that were kind of taboo. But because they're cartoons, they're they can get away with it, yeah. and so I think that a little bit of that is going to happen with these characters as well. But that people know they're not human, you know, they're not idiots. Like they know, it, they just want to believe that there's something else and that they're special and that they can have a relationship with them. And They love to suspend their disbelief in that way, and like I think those characters will just become an important part of their life, just like Spider Man or you know Superman or you know. Yeah. Any of those characters were an important part of our lives.
2: I don't think they need to. So there's the aspect of looking like a human and then there's the character version. Then there's more of the super plastic version, which Jenki does not look like a human. Yeah, Jenky does not look human. Talk about the super plastic version and what Cyan explained to you that,
0: that got you sold.
2: Well, Paul spent the first five minutes on, on our call trying to convince me he's not a toy company. And yet my fun's tagline is the next big thing will start out looking like a toy. So I was like, no, I'm on board with toys, but, but I didn't, I didn't get the collectibles aspect at first until I got them. Um, now I'm obsessed and I spent way too much money on, on an eBay. I tracked down rare ones on eBay, but the, the virtual aspect. And I thought it was janky's is, is like a best backup dancer at best, just cause it's cool to see the AR version of it move, um, and just put songs next to it. And if you want to look like a human, then it, it's a very fine line of. Look, really looking like a one. Like, Michaela is really good at that, Whereas some people don't, aren't, don't know that she's a robot. Or, it's, and it's hilarious that she calls herself a, a robot, like how she, like, self-refers to herself. But then, it's more like, what do people identify with? So was super plastic. I would send a photo of all the toys to someone, and then, like, which ones do you like best? And then my friend was like, oh, I like that one, because it's like, I, I knew she would choose that one, because it's, it's, people just see little things in people in, in, in a character, and identify with.
1: Well, the characters, uh, that- Jinky's going to come to life just like little Michaela. And there's the barrier to entry for Jinky coming to life is actually lower
2: because so much more scalable. Yeah, it's much more change.
1: scalable because there's not the photo realism that's required for a human base. Yeah. And so the uncanny valley of, of little Michaela, she can look very realistic in a Instagram photo, but as soon as they actually start rendering her talking, right. then that's gonna be challenging.
0: And for for listeners who might not follow, can you explain the uncanny valley topic? I yeah.
1: So it. basically, you're looking at, you're looking at something that is computer generated and the mouth isn't quite right. The eyes aren't quite right. And you just, you know, you feel uncomfortable with that image and you're just like, that's not human. See, yeah, so yeah, you want, you want to get to the point where you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking at a human. I could believe it.
2: Uh, that's the thing with Morphin that I've seen so many folks. Ch- Morphin is a company that puts, Turns you into a into a, a virtual character that looks very much like you, and then it puts it into viral gifts and videos. So it's a really cool piece of content. But the key to it is more that the 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 thing that makes them work is not trying to move the mouth, maybe blinking at most, which looks pretty cool. But I've seen everyone try to move them like record thirty seconds of you speaking, and then they're trying to replicate the mouth movements, and then it just looks really creepy. But with morphine, the thing that makes it look really good is the is the they're replicating the posture or the the hand movement or the, for in, in existing scenes that have become viral gifts that people clearly recognize. And then the second you try to capture it, like Jim Carrey, for example, is very f- expressive facial his uh, face in, in the gifts of Jim Carrey are very expressive. And then all the gifts of, in Morphin of Jim Carrey, I had to tell him, like, stop trying to replicate his face because just,
0: you're not going to get that. Just do everything else. And yeah, so yeah. it's very hard to. Where else within consumer are you most excited about right now slash or seeing a lot or want to see even more or you think uh you'll be investing in over the next few months?
1: Well, Neve turned me onto this because I'm starting to see more startups in the space, but things that play with audio, things that are audio based.
0: Like social networks or.
1: Everything in between. Just like we, it's an untapped territory where, you know, things, uh, I didn't realize, like, I, I never thought of AirPods as being an extension of an application in a way that you could interact with apps or people or anything in really unique ways. And so I think that that is really exciting. But anyway, there's, there's a startup that you um, are involved in. Maybe you could talk about it since you have more knowledge.
2: Yeah. TTYL is my favorite thing. It's kind of like a social network for AirPods. Where the magic moment for me was running down the street and like having YouTube playing in the background and then like I'm late to a meeting and then Alexia's voice came in and she's like, Hey, Niamh, what's up? And like it fades in and fades out, kind of like turn right directions, all hands free and you can respond hands free. Yeah, and and then secondly, like our interactions and in text, because you're so busy, like it's hard to get on a call with you, and the email is too much friction. So we end up uh, the way I work with Cyan is I text her about like five different things, and then you would respond about five different things at some point. And then just having something, let's say if it went directly to your ears, you could say I'm busy, I can't. And then like at least it's like you you read it, so it's it's much it's supposed to be pulling out your phone and, and typing. And so the the keys to not to be hands free, because then that then there's white space versus. The second you have to play your phone, then you're competing with every single app and notification and it's friction and yeah. So and then this is only possible because people are just starting to have AirPods in their ears. Like people sleep with AirPods. Um, I have backup AirPods in case I lose AirPods because it it just it's I I need to I rely on them. And then and then at first it was people making fun of them like these like white things in your ears like like the earring looks like earrings Mm -hmm. and now and now it's become kind of a accessible stata, stata, uh, status symbol where I've seen memes of people in college having AirPods and then having cheap headphones over the AirPods to not show that they have AirPods.
1: <laughs> you know, going back to sort of Pokemon go as well as I think there's untapped territory around experiential, my future world, we all are hanging out. We want to go do something. Right now, we could go for a walk. We could go see a movie. We can get a cup of coffee. We can go to a bar. We can probably count all the things that would come to mind on two hands, right? But it would be so much cooler if you're like, do you know about the ghost history in San Francisco of all of the ghosts that people say they've seen? Let's go on a walk- ghost walking tour. Yeah. Or, you know. What was Andrew um,
0: Mason's off called? Detour. He was trying to do something like this.
1: Okay, yeah. That
2: so would have made so much more sense with AirPods. Yeah.
1: <laughs> things like that with AirPods, right? Like I think uh location-based stuff with AirPods. So like you're walking into a building and then all of a sudden it starts telling you things. Like that's an augmented reality sort of type of experience it just happens to be audio not visual
2: yeah, i can always always on just you have the app and, and it maybe applies to a city or to every city or to main cities and then you just walk in a building and just start, start telling you facts and yeah, then,
1: something you know that'd be cool or,
2: if someone builds it tell me i want to talk to you You could
1: be on a mystery adventure that you're playing a game and you're a spy
0: yeah where are we at with live obviously you guys did hq trivia but where are we at with live
1: so live is incredibly challenging. I think HQ Trivia um, has proven that. Yeah. You know, a lot of people said, "Oh, that's not defensible. Anyone can do that, and there's going to be a thousand HQ Trivia's, and there isn't." Yeah, you know, well, and many so- have
2: tried. Me and Ryan, when I was still at we had a HQ for X collection because yeah. every week there was a new HQ, but it was always like, "No, like, no one's going to touch them." Like it's it, it's so, so they've cried I don't know how he did it. I mean, it's like a combination of ten different things that led to it. To grow that quickly and that that scale, and then yeah, it has to be participatory. Like if every time I see something live that could be a, like a pre-recorded thing, it does. I don't think it's gonna work. I think for live to make sense, to to take on that challenge of being live, um, you need the audience needs to be an essential part of the content. And HQ, so with Meerkat, it was. It was commenting and it was, it was not, and it was, that's more of a broadcast. That's why Periscope and Facebook Live makes sense. But, and that's why we never had replays at Meerkat because you can't participate. Uh, but with HQ, they lower that barrier to selecting a B or C, which anybody could do. And then with HQ Word, it's a bit harder. So, but it's still like you, you're, you're playing. You, if you, if, if once you're out, you should leave the game because why would you keep playing?
1: And they have a dozen ideas in the pipeline that are phenomenal that no, and they're always going to be trailblazers. Because like no one has even thought of the things that they've thought of yet. And the only thing that has come close to achieving the amount of traffic that they have is in China. There's like a Chinese version of HQ and I think it's like skinned to look exactly the same. (laughs) But the other thing is I don't think people realize how hard it is to have that many concurrent uh, viewers on seamlessly without you know, losing a lot of people and, and for it to be this engaging as it is. Yeah. It was I mean, really challenging.
0: People have been trying live for long, you know, Justin TV. I did Rap FM, which is chat roulette for rap battles. So I've been thinking about live for, for quite some time. HQ, I was at Meerkat, which Neve worked at and then house party. Is there going to be an independent unicorn? How does it become a, you know, category defining company that goes public or does Facebook end up buying one of these?
1: Well, I mean, the good news is that HQ doesn't want to sell because they already sold a company in the past right. to Twitter. to Twitter. Yep. Yeah. They don't want to go through that again. Even though they, they peaked at two million, some odd viewers, they're still at 700, 800,000 viewers per show, which is still higher than any Twitch star or most Twitch stars, I should say. So they're outperforming even like the top live content. So I see them becoming a network and they just keep rolling out these shows and eventually they can even License their platform to more established brands, and those brands would move their shows on, and they would develop content for them, and they could be the winner. However, if it's not them, then it's going to be someone who figures that out and figures out how to create like the next cable version yeah. of of live. Yeah,
0: and Twitch is the one that first proved it, I guess, with, with games. And then this question was. Can you do this for every vertical? You know, Neve and I invest, we all three of us have also invested in GlamCam. We're just trying to do that for the beauty space. But can you have other verticals besides games that, that really? I've
1: seen someone trying to do it in dating. Have you seen this dating app? Um, I forget what it's called, but it's, it's really awkward, but fun.
0: So we go on a date and then we live stream it.
1: Yeah. Basically, uh, there's some, there's somebody who's winning a date. You can win a date with the person and there's a call in. And then the, the, the challenge there is not only is the person live, but the people who call in are live. So you've got all these different live streams going on and it's ridiculously hard, but it's interesting. So I'm seeing people like trying to toy with these, these ideas. I think take any game show that's been done on television and reskin it for live and it can probably be done eventually.
0: Would you do anything in dating? Like, could you, could you see yourself, like, does Tinder have it on, on lock or have you seen anything in the dating space that you've? No, that I, I have strong views on this.
2: Yeah. I think swiping left and right is a big waste of time. And then being transitioned into a messaging interface is a big waste of time and, and messaging is fine, but move to iMessage or messenger or WhatsApp But I think that concept is just a big waste of time. So there needs to be a more authentic, uh, and some are better than others, but yeah.
1: I'm uh, not dating. I haven't, I've been married to the same person for 13 years. So, and we met at work, which today would be scandalous. I, I just can't even imagine like viewing and judging people yeah, purely yeah. So on any, their looks. Exactly,
2: exactly. So any dating app that I see that still relies on, on first impression being looks. I'm like, no, that's just not going to work. It's very, very shallow. Work. Yeah. It's, it's- so
1: I just, I, I think that there needs to be a better way. I actually think that this is it without any data. Like I'm not being scientific or anything, but I feel like it hurts people. You know, um, I see my friends dating and they'll hand me their phone and they're like, just swipe left or right for me, please. And I'm like, really? And they're like, I'm so tired of this. And they go on random dates with people that I pick for them. But really, it's 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 not a good filter. You know, um, the way that I used to meet people was coffee shops and, you know, bookstores and stuff like that and work, you know, and I think that those are healthier ways to meet people.
0: So I want to wrap up with a question for each of you. Neve, talk about the, the four kinds of luck. That's my favorite post from Naval, but... Th-
2: Mark Andreessen wrote it, and then yep. Val can I rephrase it. Yeah, yeah. So I could, that I we were at dinner with Nival the other day, and I told him, like that post is just amazing. The first one is random luck, like it yeah. just blind luck, which everybody like it happens. The second one is is the just creating a lot of force in the ecosystem, and then in kind of you put yourself in a position to be in luck which is what I told Naval, I was kind of like, I, I feel like I, I just had an extreme year of doing that. of just like trying to, let me ensure, let me, let me ensure you, let me ensure you, let, let, let's do this. just so much stuff. And then luck finds you. I have examples of all of them, which I can't share, unfortunately, but I literally have an email called luck that, <laughs> that I sent to someone that explains how I lucked into meeting him. And then, and then, how yeah, so... You become sensitive to luck. If once you're so involved in, in really an expert in the industry, you notice opportunities that other people won't. So there was one deal that I got someone into a deal because I noticed that he said it was a Friday and, and let's, let's, um, yeah, I'll meet them on, on Sunday. I'm like, wait, so we don't have to go through your assistant teaming? Cause then it would have been like three weeks out and then, and then like. The deal, like an allocation, opened up, and th- there's no way we would have done it. if It was three. It was three weeks. So I picked on that. Uh, picked on that. Just the not going through the assistant, and then I told the founders, "All right, you're going to Palo Alto. You're meeting him. Like this. And, and kind of fully, I do this with everyone. Like I fully intro someone before, just so they understand the context. I understand, so they take it as they know why I'm introducing them. This is where you don't leave things to luck. You like fully communicate why something makes sense for everyone. Um, anyway, so like picking up on those little things, um, then put you in a, that other words wouldn't, wouldn't be aware of. And then the fourth one is building, uh, th- that's where Naval says it's not really luck. By that point, it's more destiny because then you become someone who people do deals through you because you have a certain brand, like kind of like, I mean, thank you for saying it, but kind of like when you said, like you're, you feel, uh, you trust to send me deals cause you know, I'm going to be helping them. So it's like, you do that enough and then people kind of know to rely on you for, for various things. So I, re- I really like that post. I think everybody should follow it. Um, and you had—I like I told you like last night—that <laughs> the the tweet
0: storms on career are uh, uh, incredibly amazing. Yeah, basically, I think that most people have sort of a narrative of, "Hey, I need to do this for two years, then do this for two years, this for two years, and then that will put me in a place where I'm doing something totally unrelated to what I what I spend my time doing." Often the case of I want to be a VC, but I'm going to go do this. And more so think about the notches that they would get on their resume rather than the, the skills or the assets that they would, that they would build. And some of those skills are things that only they can, or that they are the best at that are uniquely valuable, like Neve with your sort of understanding of social and brand and community. And that's something you've honed over the years at, at product hunt, um, and, and, uh, and on your own. Uh, but then there are other things that are more like assets, the things that you take, for example, like product hunt is an asset. It's a thing that helps entrepreneurs get traffic. What do entrepreneurs need? Customers. They need customers. They need investors. They need... Well, so Angel has started... Angels is a startup that exists to
2: help startups. And the way they do that is to, is first by uh, helping them get funding. Then uh, a lot of founders go out of business and they need to do the next thing. So that transition into the one of the largest hiring marketplaces so the need hiring and the product was acquired because to get their first customers or to launch and to get traffic. So right. it's kind of like three legs of a stool, which is why Angelist helps start up in all those things. Yeah, exactly. So it was a great company to put I me mean, guess both of us
0: yeah. to be in to totally. help, to help companies in so many different ways. Yeah. And is an incredible asset for someone like Naval or Ryan or whoever's there to be able to, you were there and me when I was there to be able to leverage to, to get into, get into deals. And so I've been inspired both uh, in my career of, hey, what are the different skills or expertise I, I should be building? And also, what are the different assets I could create that would give me an unfair advantage or that w- could become that over time? And then at Post-Product Hunt, I said, wow, this is because I, I did a lot of deals while at Product Hunt. When I left, I was like, oh, I'm not getting deals in the same way. But before, at Product Hunt, you booked all the live chats. Yes. So you got to connect with really
2: cool people. Yes have yes. a lot and, yeah. you, and then you became one of the best interviewers, like the, oh the, thank you
0: the procton podcast like you yeah thank you yeah so uh, I leveraged the, the people want traffic so I, I started the product on podcast and was able to to get awesome people and then build great relationships with them everyone who's wants to start a podcast should start a podcast I think it's it's super easy to do and it's uh it's an amazing opportunity to both build relationships in ways that also help Other people, instead of asking them to pick their brains, 15 minutes of coffee, you say, Hey, you want to come on a podcast? And the the thoughts that they shared with you could then be shared to a wider audience and you get leverage on their time and you're doing them a favor. Yeah. That that was one way where I was able to leverage product to, to build a a network that would, that would carry, carry out after. And then the other thing I did was I built on deck, which is a community for people who are looking to start or join their next thing. Um, because I knew how, how great it was to be able to give people customers. I said, oh, can I also help them hire? And the side benefit was, oh, I can find people before they find other people, before they even find their co-founder. And then when they do, they might come to me uh, to be able to invest. So there's a lot of assets uh, out there waiting to be built. I think people should do 20 minute VC for X, pick a a functional area, pick a vertical and create a podcast where you sort of aggregate all the experts uh, in the space or, or leading practitioners. And then boom, you have this not only do you have this network of CTOs or healthcare experts, or whatever it is, everyone knows you have these, this network and that you'll be the go-to person for that. I also think there's an opportunity to basically SASTER for X, create the dominant conference for CMOs or VR experts, um, and then be the go-to person there. And these are just all low-hanging fruit. Like there's only one 20-minute VC, but there should be.
2: I think the low, well, starting a conference, I don't, I wouldn't say the low hanging fruit, <laughs> that's pretty hard. But I think a, a low hanging fruit is connecting people is a very high leverage way of, like, when, when I see a deal yeah. that I like, I want to send a bunch of people, cause I, if I get to get you into the, into the deal, then I get credit for getting to the deal. Yeah. Or if, if you, like, know someone who's really talented, like, get them a job, like, because yeah. a, a then you get to, one, they love you for life because you got them that job. Yeah. Two, the person that hired them is, is really grateful. And that's just, it's like, oh, it's like free. Uh, it just get to know interesting people and then you can yeah. connecting people is a very high level. Like I've been doing that a lot for years, but especially this year. And that's like free. Like it doesn't cost anything.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, that doesn't, like, you don't need to have a specific skill. Just like find interesting people. And then if you spot an opportunity for them, right. connect, connect people.
0: You know, it is interesting. One of my partners the other day had this tweet that was like, how many people genuinely want other people to be successful or are happy when they're successful? And he said probably under 10% be in that 10%. Cause if you, if you genuinely want other people to be successful, then you will make introductions. You will think about ways to add value to their lives and you will not expect them to do anything in return. And that has so much long-term compounding benefits. If you're the person like, you know, puts helps put an even business. I mean, he remembers that forever. You, you made
2: my career multiple times over. It's, it's not even
0: fine. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Amazing. Anyway, what were you going to ask (laughs) the last question? Very deep question. I was going to ask you was what's your secret to picking a great Twitter photo? How can people out there have as good of an iconic photo as you have?
1: Oh man. Okay. So I actually went through a couple of different photos before I landed on this one. They were, they were pretty terrible actually until my friend and I got together. She's a phenomenal photographer And we were working on an art project together where we were doing photographs of me in the 1980s visualizing the future as it is today. And so in the 80s, like if you go back and you look at Byte magazine and what VR was supposed to look like, that's what it was supposed to look like, that photograph. It was like all bright colors and, you know, glowiness and like the future was so bright. So we just made that photo and it turned out to be incredible. So I think... I think the thing is just to find some photo that really like probably lets your personality shine and don't change it. Like if I'm 80 years old, I'm still going to have that photograph. I'm just going to keep it because it is so great.
0: And the trade-offs between having a cartoon versus real.
1: I don't think it matters. I think what, what matters more is that it's recognizable. It sticks out and that you, it describes a little bit about who you are.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think that's a great place to close. Say and Neve, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash networkcatalyst.